Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Variety and Intensity in Prayer. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. On this tape, we're going to make some uh, observations about prayer. This will be kind of a conclusion in our series. This tape is a part of an overall series where we've talked about prayer We've talked about what the real purpose of prayer is. We've talked about right and wrong praying, how that you just can't pray however you want to. It must be based on God's Word. We've dealt with different kinds of prayer. We've talked about the prayer of petition. We've talked about what to do when you petition God for something and it doesn't look like it has come to pass. Do you just drop your prayer? Do you continue to pray? We've dealt with intercession, about New Testament and Old Testament type of intercession. We've talked about groaning in the Spirit, which is a form of intercession that a lot of people are not aware of. We've also talked about a prayer of meditation, the prayer of praise, and the prayer of the Spirit, or praying in tongues. And now, I'd like to make some just observations about all of this as we finish the bulk of the teaching on prayer. And now we're talking about practical application of it. There's some things here that the Lord has shown me that I believe has made a tremendous difference in my relationship with God in prayer. And it's just practical things. It's things that necessary that there may not be a necessary chapter and verse for, but it's just application of it that has made a big difference and I believe it will really help you as you begin to start trying to implement this teaching about prayer. One of the first things is that God likes diversity. God likes variety. And you can see that by looking around in nature. When God created the trees, he created every tree differently. Even all of the oak trees have different uh, configurations. They have different branches. And even though there's all similarities, there's diversity. No two snowflakes are the same. No person is exactly the same. There's variety. And so God likes variety. And when we're communicating with God, I believe that ought to be reflected in our relationship with him. Also, he made us to like variety. You know, most people, even though we do tend to establish rituals and we do kind of get into forms and, and uh, systems of doing different things, we still like variety. Matter of fact, I've heard lots of people say, I heard this one person once teaching that if you want a vacation that is really meaningful, it needs to be a real change of pace for you. If you're the type of person that you have a very stressful, high-paced life to where you're just going, going, going all of the time, then if you take a vacation that is just like that and you're traveling all of the time and you've got so much planned, it's going to be it's not going to be a change of pace and it won't really minister to you. And so they suggested that if you are a, a high stress type of job and if you're constantly on the go that you ought to plan a vacation that is just very, very peaceful, laid back, just going somewhere and sitting out in the sun on a beach or something. If you've got a lifestyle that is very calm and uh, then you ought to plan your vacation that it could be real exciting for you. It may be a high-paced time. In other words, a change of pace. Variety really ministers and refreshes us. And I believe that uh, each one of us could prove that in our own life in some uh, example. But since God likes variety, and since we like variety, I believe that one of the detrimental things that has come in and has really hurt us in our prayer time is that we tend to make rituals and we tend to make set patterns that after a while 
God doesn't like and we don't like. And it again becomes a negative experience and we wind up being discouraged. We wind up being frustrated and so therefore we quit our prayer time. All a ritual is is some form. It doesn't matter if it's a good form or a bad form that doesn't have the anointing of God on it. It could have been something that at one time really had the anointing of God on it, but it doesn't have it anymore. And that's what makes a ritual. And did you know that God can lead you into an area where you have uh, established some pattern of worship or prayer or Bible study time? And it may be very beneficial to you at one point in time, but if you make a ritual out of it, if you just say, all right, because this is working, and boy, I'm being blessed, you set down some kind of pattern and say, this is the way I'm going to do it every single day from now until the Lord comes, and that's it. And you make a commitment like that, I can promise you that sooner or later, things are going to change. You're going to have some different needs. There, needs. there will need to be a variety in that relationship and if you have it so rigid like that, you're going to wind up actually resisting the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit will lead you differently different days. Now, I really want to make this point. I am going to teach on our next uh, tape about a devotional time, and we're going to give some basic guidelines, and we're going to talk about some things. I believe that there needs to be a plan. If we go in there just so loose and so open to the Holy Spirit leading us that we have no plan whatsoever, I believe that we're going to wind up frustrated. And again, a lot of that's based on my own personal experience, plus what I've seen with other people. But on the other hand, you can't be so rigid that there is no allowance for the Holy Spirit leading you. People are always seeming to go to one extreme or the other. Either we're going to be so free that we don't have any discipline over ourselves whatsoever. We look at discipline as being condemnation, and it's not. There's a difference between being legalistic and being disciplined. But then on the other hand, we certainly can't get so rigid that if God leads us in a different direction that we are so stuck to our plan that we actually go to resisting the Holy Ghost. And I tell you, this is something that religion is just terrible at doing. Uh, I believe that all of the denomination, I can't say all of them, but the ones that I've really been associated with, I believe were started by God. Not necessarily the denomination, but the move of God, the move of the Spirit. There were some tremendous things that happened there. And God was moving, and people saw it, and they saw the blessings of God on it, comparing it to where they were coming from. They saw that, boy, this is better. This is superior. And so in an effort to maintain that momentum and keep it going, they set down rules. They institutionalized it. They wrote out their statements of faith. They said, this is, these are the bounds. These are the limits. This is the way we're always going to operate. And see, even though where they were may have been better, maybe it was a tremendous move of God at the time, we haven't all attained unto everything that God has for us. And God, our relationship with him is a continuing, growing type of relationship. And the moment you begin to start setting bounds and limits and say, boy, this is exactly the way I'm going to be. This is exactly the way I'm going to do it forever and a day, ad infinitum, amen. The moment you do that, I guarantee you are beginning to resist the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost will lead you on through that, not into things that will contradict and say that everything you're doing now is wrong, but I'm saying that there will be improvements, there will be growth. And when you start putting down rigid standards, you wind up limiting the Holy Spirit. 
And so I believe that there were some tremendous moves of God. As a result, people formed denominations and said, boy, this is what we're going to emphasize. And even though at the time it may have been good, God wants to bring them on past that. And their ritual, their traditions, their laws that they set down actually become restrictive on what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. So after a period of time, it gets to a place where God is wanting to do something special and they look at their laws, at their standards, at their things that they've agreed on and they say, no, this isn't God. And they actually wind up resisting the Holy Ghost and nearly every single denomination I can think of has uh, wound up adhering more to their rigid standards, their rituals, their programs that they've established, and they've wound up grieving the Holy Ghost to where the thing that started them in the flow of the Spirit is now being fought against. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. It gets to the point that, you know, they set a time that you're supposed to be out at 12 noon, and boy, if the Holy Spirit showed up and great miracles start happening, people just say, well, we've got to stop. It's uh, time. We've got to beat the Methodists down to the cafeteria or whatever. And I tell you, those things become hindrances. So I'm warning you against. I'm saying that there should be some um, discipline. There should be some guidelines, and we're going to deal with that as we talk about a devotional time. But don't make your prayer time rigid. Don't make it so structural that you actually wind up resisting the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that will help you to do this is to recognize that God will lead you differently. God likes variety. We like variety. And then there are other needs. There are other reasons for variety. For one thing, your situations are going to change. If you set a pattern of fellowship and prayer time with God today, maybe you are in the midst of a terrible battle. And if you are, well, then your prayer needs today will be different than when God delivers you from that time and brings you in a time of tranquility and uh, a time of fruitfulness and productiveness where it just seems like everything you're doing and setting your hand unto is blessed. You respond differently in a situation like that. Because needs change, it's necessary that your prayer time changes. Now, that's not to say that we our prayer time is total reactionary. Because there are times that when everything is just going great, God may lead you into deep intercession, and maybe it's to ward off something that's coming in the future, or maybe it's intercession for somebody else. Again, see, you can't set rules and, and laws and make everything rigid. But we can use some wisdom and recognize that when you're in the midst of a terrible battle, there may be a need for intercession to where you just stay in intercession and it comprises a large part of your prayer life. Again, I'd like to balance this by saying that even in intercession, there ought to be praise there. And as we taught on our series about praise, praise is strong intercession. It's warfare to steal the enemy and the avenger. And that praise will keep us from becoming negative and defeated and looking at the problem. So even in the midst of intense uh, warfare, there could be a lot of praise and things. I'm not saying that it's just total agony and, and groaning and travail, but there will be an intensity, a fight, a, a level of that that you may not experience in a time of blessing. In a time of blessing when, boy, God is prospering you, you should just let the high praises of God in your mouth be in your mouth. And it may be that praise just totally dominates you. And so there can be variation in your prayer life. Now, that doesn't mean that we ever take one form of prayer and exclude the others, but there can be a different mixture, different amounts. 
And this is something that I believe is just really necessary. As you start I- implementing these things about different types of prayer, if you, if you make laws and if you say, well, boy, praise God, I've seen intercession more than I ever have, and from now on I'm going to operate in intercession an hour every single day. Well, there may be some day that the Lord will have you just to sit and meditate. Maybe God needs to show you something, and for him to speak to you, you've got to be quiet. You can't be operating in intercession and charging the gates of hell and tearing things down. Maybe God really wants to show you a revelation that will help you in your intercession even more. Well, you've got to be sensitive to that so that if God leads you, that you don't wind up resisting the Holy Spirit. The thing that makes prayer really effective and beneficial as far as us getting payback from it. You know, this may sound carnal to people. I don't mean it to be that way. But there has to be something in prayer for us. And I really don't mean this to be carnal. I do believe that prayer is not meant to be selfish. It's meant to bless God. But in blessing God, I tell you, when I just take time and minister unto the Lord, it blesses me. You can't outgive God. If you start blessing the Lord and ministering unto him, I promise you, as you give, it shall be given back unto you. And I get tremendous joy and blessing out of ministering unto God, even though it's an unselfish thing that I'm doing, it does benefit me. And so there is a payback, and that's really what makes prayer so satisfying and rewarding. I mean, if it was just constantly nothing in it for us, if we never got blessed through it, if we never received any emotional benefit, if God never spoke to us, if we never saw answered to prayer, if nothing ever came of it, it would be very hard to maintain it. And so the thing that makes prayer really come alive and be beneficial and enjoying is when the anointing of God's on it. When it's not just a one-way street, where you aren't just saying words, but you know that you're being heard and you know that God is communing back with you, and there's that anointing of God on it. That's really what we seek for in our prayer time with the Lord. And yet, if we set down laws and rules, and if we become insensitive to the Holy Spirit, then it's very possible that the Holy Spirit could lead you, say, into an area of intercession. Maybe there's somebody you know, and you don't know it by your mind, but you know them in your heart, and God is just speaking to you that this person needs your prayer right then. And maybe he's laying real strong intercession on you, but you've already got a standard. You've already got a rule put down that, no, sir, I'm going to spend 30 minutes just uh, doing this or praying through my prayer list or doing something else, Well, the Holy Spirit could try and lead you in a different direction, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that, and you pull in the other direction. You can call that what you want to, even if you're in prayer, even if you're going by some standard that at one time was great and beneficial and productive, you can wind up resisting the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit through your prayer time and through the rules and the rigid standards that we've set down. And I tell you, the moment you go to resisting the Holy Spirit in your prayer time, you are not going to experience the anointing of God on it. You aren't going to experience that freshness, and you aren't going to be feeling in union with God and feeling the blessing of flowing with him. You're going to feel the friction of going against him. Not to say that God's mad at you or any of that. I believe God's big enough and understands where we are, but we just simply won't get the benefit of it the way that we should. And this has happened to me, and one of the greatest things, one of the most practical applications that I believe the Lord has taught me is just to put variety in my prayer time and recognize that, yes, there's guidelines, and I'll be dealing with this much more as I deal with the devotional time, 
But there needs to be a sensitivity to the Spirit. And I can tell you that sometimes in the morning when I get up and spend a, a devotional time with the Lord, there are some days I get up and all it is is praise and worship. And I mean, it's just overwhelming. I just am so thankful and I want to praise God and I, I do it and I've seen this happen time after time after time that boy, it was good that I did it because it's strength to steal the enemy and the avenger. Sometimes when Satan has come against me my strongest, the Lord has prepared me for it because I've been in praise and worship all morning long. It just gives you a better perspective and it's very important. At other times, I've had times where the Lord would lead me into an intercession and praying for somebody, and it was very important. And I mean, it just took a period of time to get it done, and it wound up dominating nearly my whole prayer time. And I've seen this produced time after time. And if I would have just set it down, then I'm going to spend five minutes praying this way and five minutes praying this way and five minutes praying this way. And if I did that, I would have missed God. So there needs to be a sensitivity to the Spirit. Now, one of the things that I learned through this prayer series, and this has been tremendously beneficial in me, this is something that, of course, all of the things I've been teaching are things that I've known, but as I went through them and taught on them just back to back, I have seen some wisdom out of this that has really helped me in my personal uh, prayer time. And that is going all the way back to when we talked about different kinds of prayer. And, and that they have different goals, different expectations. You can expect different results when you pray differently. And that to be effective, we need to combine these types of prayers. Well, every one of the prayers that we've talked about, the prayer of petition, the prayer of intercession, the prayer of meditation, the prayer of praise, praying in tongues, each one of those types of prayer have powerful benefits, but also some, uh, some problems. I don't know that problem is the correct word, but they may have some potential drawbacks if you operate in one of those types of prayer to the exclusion of another. They could make you lopsided. For instance, one of the things that the Lord spoke directly to me is that when I first got started in the ministry, I mean, it was a constant fight just to keep my head above water. It looked like that I wasn't called a minister. I uh, had so many problems. People used to stay away from our meetings by the droves. We were fighting financial collapse every single day and just multitude of problems coming in on us. Plus, I was brand new in the things that I was ministering and I wasn't totally secure in them and a lot of different things coming against me. And so the, the uh, pressure, the warfare, I, the spiritual warfare that I felt was intense. And as a result, I spent a tremendous amount of time. I mean, I would spend a good three to four hours a day, most days, praying in tongues and building myself up. And we've already talked about this. When you pray in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You build up yourself on your most holy faith, etc. And because of what I knew about praying in tongues, I spent a tremendous amount of time praying in tongues. And what it does, it stirs up the gift that's on the inside of you. I mean, praying in tongues makes me just wired. Boy, it gets me excited. It gets my adrenaline flowing. It gets me pumped up spiritually. And it made me ready to fight in the battle. 
And as a result, because I really emphasized that type of prayer, I mean, I would fight the devil at the drop of a hat and drop my hat to get to fight the devil. I mean, when I saw Satan come at me, there was just an anger that rose up on the inside of me, and I would fight against that thing. And did you know that that's beneficial? I've got a new tape that I put out on this talking about being violent with the devil. And uh, most people don't recognize that anger is a godly quality. And it's something that if used against the devil, then it's productive. The problem is when we use it against people. God never intended for it to be used against people. But when it's uh, coming against the devil, we need to be angry with the devil. We need to be violent. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the scripture there talks about, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. And some people have taught that that's talking about that God knows you're going to get mad because you're just human and that you're going to get into strife. So God allows it, but he says make sure you get it straightened up and cleared up by the time the sun goes down every night. Well, that's not what the Lord's saying. He's not saying that he'll allow you anger during the day but not at night. What he's saying is that there is a righteous type of anger where you can be angry without sinning. And that righteous type of anger that is directed towards the devil, we are supposed to keep it awake. We're supposed to keep it alive. Never put it to bed. Never let it die down. Keep it white hot against the devil. Keep yourself stirred up. There needs to be a boldness. It says in Matthew chapter 11 that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's talking about people who are violently resolved. And we've got a lot of passive Christians. We've got a lot of Christians who are wimps today. They don't know how to fight the devil. They're just letting Satan steal from them, and they're trying to take it peacefully and uh, reflect the peace and the joy of the Lord. Well, there's a time to have peace and joy, but it's not when the devil is just ripping you off. Man, you need to fight the devil tooth and toenail, and we need to be able to get angry at the devil. So see, when I was praying in tongues, I was building myself up, stirring myself up, and boy, I mean, I was effective at fighting the devil. We saw some great miracles happen in our lives just because I was resisting the devil with all that was within me, and it was very, very productive. But then on the other hand, I didn't have much patience. Uh, it seems like, boy, that I was so stirred up and I was so ready to go I was just like a horse chomping at the bits that I wouldn't, I was having a hard time being patient in the Lord and just resting in the things of the Lord uh, and many other problems, you know, that arise out of it. Well, I've really come nearly full circle to the point where I spend a tremendous amount of time now just meditating. And as I meditate, I have such a peace, such a reliance in the Lord that, boy, I just know that he is God. The Bible says in in Psalms 46.10, be still and know that he is God. And I practice that. And as a result, I really do have a peace. And I've had tremendous problems come against me that should have bowled me over, and yet I have total peace. And that's very beneficial because if Satan can't get your joy, then he can't steal from you. If he can't get you into fear and anxiety and worry, well, then his inroad into your life is very limited. And so I've really come a long ways in that respect, and I praise God for it. Meditation has been very powerful. It's helped me mature. God has taught me some things through it. But see, when I use it to the exclusion of praying in tongues, then what happens is it develops this peace in me, this tranquility, etc., but at the same time I've seen myself, in comparison to where I was 10 or 15 years ago, very passive. 
And the Lord has spoken to me through this series and said, look, you can't operate in one to the exclusion of the other. You need to operate in that praying in tongues more and building yourself up on your most holy faith, stirring up the gift that's within you. And it has helped me in the last few months as I've been teaching on this. I've been operating in praying in tongues much, much more. And I tell you, it has just blessed me. It's given me a, it's just like charging my batteries. And it's been a tremendous blessing to me. But see, that needs to be done in balance. I don't need to go from one extreme to the other. There's a man named Bob Boos who wrote a book entitled The Pendulum Swings. And the whole point of this uh, book is that, you know, you come from a position where like a pendulum, you know, it's supposed to hang straight down because of gravity, but we get pulled over to one side, to an extreme, and then we see that we're wrong, so what we do, we cut loose, and instead of coming right down to the middle, where would be the proper place to be, the momentum of us trying to rebel and come out of this deception or error, we swing all the way past the middle and we go over to another extreme. And then we stay there for a while, recognize that's wrong, so we swing back the other way, and it's just a constant process, and eventually we get closer and closer to where we should be. Well, I'm not saying that, see, because... I turned away from spending tremendous amounts of time praying in tongues and come to meditation. That that produced great benefit. At the time, it was meeting a need. Now I recognize I need to balance it more with praying in tongues. I don't need to forsake meditation, the prayer of meditation, and go back to exactly where I was. I need to be mature enough to harmonize this and come into balance with it. And this is something, see, that, again, prayer time needs variety. We need to use all of these different forms of prayer. We don't need to grab one truth and run with it to an exclusion of another truth. I believe that that's all that error is, is one truth. Error nearly always has some truth in it. If it didn't, nobody would bite it. If, if you threw a hook in the water without any bait on it, nobody would bite the thing. Yes, you know, the bait may be good, but it's that hook inside of there that, that really causes the problem. Error is nothing but truth taken to the exclusion of other truths. You've just made your own one thing, and that makes it error. Another example of what we're talking about is a prayer of intercession. Boy, that's tremendous, and again, tremendous power in intercession. We've already dealt with that. We had three tapes on the subject of intercession. But did you know that if you get into intercession to the exclusion of other types of prayer, what will happen is you'll become demon conscious. You'll get to thinking about Satan and about his work. It's, it'll possibly produce discouragement and despair and all kinds of things. I know that personally when I first uh, realized the benefit of intercession and that, praise God, I could do spiritual warfare and I could take authority over demon spirits. I got so devil conscious that I saw a demon on every doorknob and... I mean, it uh, was beneficial at a, at a point in the time because it, it opened up to me that, hey, we are fighting a spiritual battle. That was good. But then it began to have negative benefits when I just got so excited and exclusive on that area that I began to forget other things. And so that had negative benefits. I had to put it in its proper perspective. If you operate in a prayer of petition exclusively, if all you do is just ask God for things, it would be very easy to feed a selfish nature. It would be very easy to just operate in greed and use uh, what we call prayer to just feed your greed and ask God for this and use prayer like a grocery cart to go up and down the aisles of heaven and say, God, give me this and God, give me that. You can't use any of these things exclusively of, of other things. There needs to be variety in your prayer time. 
And as you do that, you'll find out that it'll become fresh because every single day is a fresh experience with the Lord. It won't be an exact duplication of anything else. There may be similarities, just like snowflakes look similar, but when you really examine them, every one of them is different. God will give you some variety in your prayer time, in your relationship with him, and it'll keep it fresh, and it'll keep you from getting frustrated and discouraged because the anointing of God is left because he's trying to lead you one way and pray a certain way and know you've got your prayer time already outlined and it's going to be this way. You can't do that. There must be variety in prayer if you are going to do this over the long haul. I tell you, anybody can pray for a few moments. Anybody can hold a devotional time for a week or so until you get frustrated with it. But I'm talking about something that becomes a part of your life, that prayer is not just something tacked onto your life, but you live in an attitude of prayer. You're in constant communication with the Lord. To do that, there needs to be some variety. Or another way of saying it is we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and recognize that he can lead us in different ways. God likes variety. He created us to like variety. And our situations dictate variety in our prayer. We've got to be able to respond to the pressures and to the needs and to different things and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The second major point that I'd like to make talking about application of all of this teaching on prayer is dealing with the intensity of emotion that we have in prayer. Anyone who's ever tried to really pray and has ever effectively prayed has had some times where it just seemed like you really touched the heart of God, where you knew that you got through. Now, there's lots of times that by faith we just pray, and uh, it works. And I've, some of the greatest miracles that I've ever seen, I felt nothing. And uh, yet I know it worked because it was visible evidence. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, and some things when I felt nothing. It was just standing there by faith. So I know that you don't have to go by feeling. And yet there are times where you have a relationship with the Lord in prayer, and I mean, you just know that God's there. You know, you can sense it. Even your physical senses become aware of the presence of God, of the love of God, uh, the power of God, and there it is just an intense time. I mean, a tremendously intense time, not only emotionally in your physical realm, but I mean spiritually, you just come alive. And I've had some tremendous experiences like that, and I know that many other people have. And many times when you hear people teach about prayer and talk about it in an effort to motivate people to prayer, they will talk about some of these tremendous emotional experiences, or not just emotional, but spiritual experiences highs with the Lord. Now, I've had some of those experiences where the presence of God was just so strong that it was overwhelming. I mean, tremendously satisfying to know that, boy, you are in communion with God Almighty. And praise God for it. I am not diminishing that. I'm not wanting anybody to think that I'm trying to, to uh, tear people's hopes down to, so that they don't expect to receive uh, benefit of it. But what I am trying to say is that many times it becomes a trap for us. Even our positive experiences, Satan will take anything. I tell you, he is such a louse that he'll take even the blessings, the good things that God has done in your life, 
and he'll use those things and turn around and try and pervert our understanding of it and use those very things to beat us down with. Now, what I mean is, if you have a tremendous experience with the Lord in prayer, or let me use this example, that if you've heard somebody else teach about prayer, and in an effort to motivate you to prayer, they told about how that they spent a certain season of time praying and that they saw five angels and had three visions and had the Lord speak to them in an audible voice and give them uh, instructions for the next year, etc. And they tell you all of these great things that have happened. Well, praise God for that. But you know what very seldom is told is that that doesn't happen all that often. And so many people hear something like that, and they go in and say, well, praise God, I'm going to pray, and they may not even say it, but in their mind, they're thinking, I want to see three angels and have five visions and do all of this. And that's what they're expecting. And so they expect this prayer time to be just an overwhelming, emotionally intense time where God does something spectacular every single time. Now, I'll be the first to say that I believe that prayer can be that way, and I believe that God can speak to us, and I believe in the miraculous power of God. But it's not going to be that way the majority of the time. It's not even going to be that way very much of the time. Matter of fact, I've never had an angel speak to me. I've never seen an open vision. I've never heard an audible voice of God, and yet I've had some tremendous times in fellowship with the Lord. So see, if you put an unrealistic goal out there, if you get your hope so that you are expecting God to come down in an audible voice, and if you pray and wait on that, well, then the Bible says in Proverbs 13:12 that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I mean, if, you've, if, you're, if that's what you're expecting, if you take somebody's teaching on prayer and you go in expecting to see just an awesome display of the presence and the power of God, and if you don't experience it, then you're going to be discouraged. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it's actually going to become a very discouraging time for you. You'll leave thinking maybe not anything contrary to prayer. Maybe you'll still believe in prayer as much as you did. But you'll think, boy, I must really be a jerk. I don't know why God won't communicate with me. He did with evangelist so-and-so. And so you get down on yourself, and again, you don't persist in a negative experience. If it becomes a very negative experience, you'll wind up stopping praying. You maybe still will be just as convicted that it needs to be done, but you'll be so frustrated you won't know how to do it, and the end result will be that your prayer life will be destroyed. Satan can destroy you through things like that. Well, see, the same thing happens uh, with prayer uh, on a daily basis that we may have an experience where maybe you don't even see an angel, you don't have a vision or any of that, but you just experience such a peace of the Lord, such a presence of the Lord, that you go in the next day and you say, oh, that's so good, Father, I want to experience that again and stronger, much stronger. Well, you go in, and, and it is true that you will grow and that you will have times with the Lord, but I personally believe that much of our time with the Lord is not going to be spectacular and I'm trying to use my words carefully because I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying that prayer just becomes something mundane that you do and that it doesn't have God present that it's not a two-way communication I'm not saying that but I am saying that there's a lot of times in prayer where you will just be fellowshipping with the Lord by faith you know I have taken some of the major characters of the Bible and I've just gone through and looked at their life and looked at how God spoke to them. 
And when you look at it and see the dramatic things that happened in their life, you're so impressed. And you say, boy, they knew God in such an intimate, close way. That's the way I want to be. And it inspires you to really get in and press in just to know God, to spend time with him. But sometimes, actually through Scripture, I've gained a wrong impression. For instance, like Elijah. I've, I've admired some of the tremendous things that God did through Elijah. And I've looked at him and thought, God, you know, it's so miraculous the way you just spoke to him. The 17th chapter of 1 Kings, God spoke to him and said that there would be a famine in the land for three and a half years. And there was, exactly according to his word. Told him to go to the brook and stay there and God would feed him with ravens. And he did. And then when the brook dried up, God told him to go to Zarephath and that the woman there would sustain him and told him how to do it. And he did it. And it was miraculous. And then the woman's son died and he raised her from the dead. And then he went back to uh, Ahab and appeared to him. And he called all of the prophets of Baal together and got them to offer a sacrifice and put no fire on it and let the true God answer by fire in the first uh, Kings chapter 18. And when he prayed, he said, Father, I'm praying this so that they will know that I'm your servant and that I've done all of these things by your word. He heard from God. Now, that's tremendous. But did you know that there's about four instances in those two chapters where Elijah heard from God? And it was miraculous, and it was supernatural, and I'm not minimizing that, but that stretched out over a three-and-a-half-year period of time. There's only four recorded times that God spoke to him, that he had real, I mean, dramatic, uh, miraculous communication with God. Now, I'm not saying that that's the only time. It may have happened much more often than that, but I can say this, that it wasn't always there. It wasn't always constant. Right after this tremendous victory on Mount Carmel, where he saw such a tremendous uh, miracle, he immediately fell into despair. He sat under a juniper tree and said, God, kill me. I wish that I could die because I'm no better than anybody else. He ran away from Jezebel who threatened to kill him, and he got into discouragement. So it's evident that he wasn't just always feeling and walking in the presence of God. And yet God didn't forsake him at all. I look at other people in the Bible, and on and on I could go with things that I've studied about this. But, you know, one of the examples that re the Lord really used to minister to me is in the book of Acts where Saul was struck with light on the Damascus road, and then he went to Damascus, and the Lord told him to tarry there and that he would send a man to him to help him. And so Ananias was in prayer, and the Lord spoke to him in prayer and said, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And then he told Ananias to go to Saul and minister to him, etc., and he did it. But as I was thinking about that, the Lord just took those words that Ananias spoke. And he, when the Lord said, Ananias, he said, Behold, I am here. Did you know that there is not another time recorded in the Bible that God spoke to Ananias? Now, I'm sure that he did. I'm sure that you just don't hear a message from God the way that Ananias did and go and speak boldly to Paul or Saul who was there to kill and persecute Christians. You don't do that unless you're familiar hearing the voice of God. So I know that Ananias had heard God before, and I know that his prayer time was effective. I'm not saying that you just go for years and it's no feelings, no emotions. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, that certainly... There is nothing recorded in Scripture that God ever spoke to Ananias to the magnitude that he did when he went and used him to change Saul 
into the Apostle Paul and give him direction. I mean, as far as Scripture reveals, that is the biggest thing that God ever spoke to Ananias. Now, if Ananias would have been like me, he would have just been overwhelmed thinking about this man who was persecuting the church and, and the terrible havoc that was being uh, wrought by him, and then to think that God used him to change him, to convert him into Christianity. Of course, I mean, he had already seen the light, but he was a tremendous instrument to point Saul in the right direction and to do all of these things. Boy, what an overwhelming experience. He could have gone home praising God, thanking God, just overwhelmed with it. And then, if it had been like me, the next day he would have said, Oh, God, that was so good. What are you going to do today? How are you going to top that? What's going to happen today? And did you know that there isn't any re record that God used him to do the same thing with anybody else, anything like that. See, we can fall into a deception of thinking that every time with the Lord has to be more spectacular than the next time, and that's wrong. And what that'll do, it'll build uh, expectations, hopes, and prayer that God never intended, and you'll actually wind up being disappointed with God because he hadn't outperformed the last time. There's no scriptural evidence that God ever used Ananias the way that he did with Saul, and yet that didn't mean that God quit fellowshipping with him. It didn't mean that Paul, that uh, Ananias' time with the Lord was any less important after God had used him. See, we in our own mind get things all blown out of proportion. So what I'm trying to say is that in our prayer time with the Lord, we need to have realistic expectations. Yes, we need to have a good time with the Lord, and we need to expect blessings and emotional benefit of it, and we need to expect to feel the peace and the love and the joy of God. But we don't need to uh, try and make God outperform himself, do something more spectacular every single time we're together. You know, prayer, in its simplest terms, as we've already dealt with, is basically communion with God. It's for the purpose of building a relationship with God. And relationships cannot be sustained if you are constantly trying to make them more intense than the last time you were together. I mean, if you had somebody that you wanted to really get close with, and so you came and you just shared your heart with them, and they shared with you, you had a tremendous time, there was great benefit out of it. But then the next time you get together, you say, oh, it's got to be even stronger, and you try and make something happen where you have even more love, where you have even more of a bonding between you, and you can see God putting you together. Did you know if you maintain that attitude over a long period of time, you'll actually wind up destroying a relationship? I've seen some people who I understand their heart. They really appreciated something I administered to them. And they were so touched by it. They were so overwhelmed that they wanted to come and just tell me how much they appreciated me. They wanted to make friends with me, and they wanted to be my best friend. But did you know it takes time to build relationships? And because they didn't understand it, I've seen some people who come in, and I mean, they're very offensive because they are just, I mean, they are throwing themselves on you. And, you know, that's not the way you build relationships. It takes time to build them. You can't be too intense. Sometimes people who we, recall, uh, who we call very uh, repulsive, very obnoxious, are just people who are really intense. They are, have so many emotions. They're trying to reach out, and they're just offensive with it. Well, see, you can't build relationship with people that way, and you can't build relationships with God that way. In a marriage relationship... 
you know, uh, there's a tremendous, during a courtship, when a man and a wife come together, there's a tremendous emotional excitement about it. I know that when my wife and I came together that, boy, I just got to where I was overwhelmed. It's all I, she was all I could think about day and night. And I mean, I was just really overwhelmed. But did you know that you can't maintain that same intensity all of the time? That's not to say that our love is diminished. I believe that we love each other more today than we ever have, but it is a more mature type of love. I mean, when we first got married, we'd sit around and look at each other in spoons, our reflection, just play and just enjoy being with each other all of the time. Well, we still enjoy being with each other, but we don't sit around and look at our reflection in spoons anymore. Uh, you know, in the physical relationship in marriage, it's a tremendous uh, thing that God's given us. It's a blessing. The world has taken it and tried to pervert it and make something vile out of it. And some people are even ashamed. Some Christian people are even ashamed to use the word sex. But God created it and used in its proper way. It's a godly thing. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. And But then it goes on to say whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. In other words, there's a proper use of it in, in the context of what God gave it in marriage. It's great, but boy, you abuse it, and I guarantee you the punishment of God will fall on that. So what I'm saying is uh, the physical relationship in marriage is a blessing that God's given us, and nobody would doubt that it is an intense time. But did you know that if you tried to maintain that same level of intensity, the same emotional, uh, physical, everything that you experience during a physical relationship in marriage, if you tried to maintain that at all times, did you know you would destroy your marriage? You can't do that all of the time. That is not all that there is to marriage. One of the things that made me uh, love Jamie and, and just know that it was God so much to put us together was that I didn't have to do something to entertain her. I didn't have to take her out on a date and have a tremendous time and then the next date come up with something that was even more exciting and have to beat that one. And I mean, that kind of thing puts you in turmoil. It doesn't give you peace. Jamie and I could just sit there and we could just enjoy being with each other. We didn't even have to be talking. Now, we had good communication. We spent a lot of time talking, but I'm saying I didn't have to talk. I felt total peace that I could just sit with her. I could read the Bible. I could be daydreaming, looking around. Didn't even have to be talking to her directly. We just enjoyed being with each other, and it didn't have to be where there was something spectacular happening all of the time. And that's one of the reasons that our relationship has grown and matured and maintained and is better today than it was when we first got married. But see, some people, in an effort to make their relationship just great, have placed unrealistic demands on it that you just can't sustain relationships at that level. And I believe that it's that way with God. God doesn't want us to just go from one spectacular experience to the next because you'd be very easy to fall into an emotional thing to where you're going by feelings. And man, unless you have a tremendous feeling, unless something special happened, unless you see five angels this time, uh, you aren't going to feel like you've really done anything. Well, that's not what the Lord's wanting us to go by. He's just wanting us to be in his presence by faith. Like I was talking about with Ananias and Saul, Ananias, when God spoke, said, Here I am, Lord. There's no record about how long he had been there before since he had heard the last time God spoke to him. Maybe it had been a month since God had given him any specific direction. But did you know Ananias was faithful just to be there? And I personally believe 
that there will be a majority of the time in your personal relationship with the Lord where you will experience peace. You will know by faith that you are in the presence of God and that God loves you, but it, you'll be assuring yourself by faith. You know, the scripture says in First John chapter 3 that by this we shall assure our hearts before him. We have to assure our hearts. It says in Hebrews chapter 10 to sprinkle our conscience from an evil conscience and come boldly. I mean, the Lord's not going to just tell you every time in prayer in some miraculous way that you can't doubt that it was God. I mean, not through an audible voice, a vision or something. He's not going to be telling you that he's pleased with you or whatever. Most of the time, it'll be you just standing there based on what the Word says. God's Word says in Ephesians 1, 6 that you're accepted in the blood, and so you are ministering it to yourself, and you're standing there by faith saying, well, I believe it because God's Word says it. There may not be an emotional confirmation of it, there may not be an audible voice or a physical manifestation of it. You are just in the presence of God and you're dwelling there by faith. That's productive. I believe that that's the way God really wants it to be, to where we dwell in him by faith, what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, that's not to say that that's inferior. See, from our perspective, we may think, well, that's inferior. I believe that every time I ought to have more of, a, of an awareness, more of a presence of God, more peace, more joy. But see, that's not the way that God looks at it. God wants us to grow in these things, but we'll be standing there by faith. And Ananias may have stood there for months, maybe a year. He had just been in the presence of God, of course, experiencing his love and his peace, but maybe nothing dramatic, and yet he stayed there just faithful because, see, he wasn't placing any special demands. He wasn't coming saying, God, I'm demanding that today you do something special. I hadn't heard a supernatural word from God. I hadn't had a gift of the Spirit operate through me in a single month. I am just not going to continue this unless you do something. I guarantee you that is not productive to a relationship with the Lord. And yet I know that many times we do that same thing, maybe not in that term, but we go in expecting to just have some kind of a, an experience with the Lord instead of just expecting to be there by faith. Maybe the Lord isn't going to say anything special to you this morning. He just wants you to be there, and he's, he's ministering to you, and you're growing and maturing, and you're disciplining yourself. You're teaching your flesh just to be in the presence of God. Even if your flesh cannot perceive the presence of God, the blessings of God, the faith of God, any manifestation, you're just there, and you're disciplining yourself, and you're staying in the presence of God. I tell you, in your spirit, you're communing with God, and it's doing you tremendous, tremendous benefit. So to sum all of this up, I'm saying that, yes, we should expect a tremendous relationship with God in prayer, but it ought to be based on reality. It ought to be based on what we can see examples in God's Word. It ought to be that we stand there by faith. We assure our hearts before Him. We dwell in him by faith, not by feelings, not by all of the dramatic things. Yes, they'll come, and praise God for those times. But don't fall into the deception of taking some experience with the Lord and saying, oh, man, this was so good. God, I know you're going to better this one tomorrow. I know there's got to be some greater experience in this. We need to get to where we just enjoy the Lord. You know, I see this same thing in the, in the natural realm in so many ways. But God has given us the creation. And the Bible says in Psalms chapter 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day unto day utters speech night unto night showeth knowledge. And there's other scriptures that would go along with that. 
But those scriptures are saying that the creation will show you God, that God has manifested himself in it. And if you would just really stop and look at a sunset or a sunrise, I mean, it is miraculous. It's beautiful. Nobody could ever duplicate that. Man, in all of their great technology, cannot put on the display that God does every single day and every single night. And then you look at the trees, and then you look at an animal and see how they move and the things. I mean, God's present everywhere. And yet, I see some people that have just hardened themselves towards that. And yes, they've at one time seen those truths, and at one time they've been tremendously blessed by just being out in nature or something and seeing God. But they've, they've just hardened themselves, and man, they're wanting something more. God, I know that, but I want this. I tell you, I believe that that's a, a tragedy. I believe that we ought to never get to the place that we can just take things for granted. I believe that God intends for us to every single time enjoy him and to see him in all of the things around us and to see his blessings and his handiwork. I believe that that's a godly attitude. And I've seen people that in the natural realm become insensitive, take things for granted, and they've got to see some greater thing. God, show me some miracle. And, boy, they, they're looking at miracles totally all around them. I tell you, that's a hard heart. I don't believe that God intended us to be that way. And in our relationship with God, even in prayer, we sometimes do this to where, oh, yeah, Lord, I know I've got peace, and I know that you're here, and by faith I know these things, and I know all of this, but I just need you to do something miraculous. I want to see, see you create something just in front of my eyes. I believe that that's very similar to tempting God. And it certainly is not going to bring that anointing of God on your prayer and, and, and let you experience that benefit of it. We need to get to where we are just in prayer because God's Word teaches on it. We see the benefit of it. And so we, we stand there based on God's Word. We pray. We take all of the things we've talked about. We do it. And we experience the peace and the joy of the Lord. And, and we're certainly open to the fact that God is a miracle-working God, that he's still alive today. And so if God speaks as he did to Ananias, if he speaks as he did to Elijah or to any of these other great people, praise God, it wouldn't surprise us. We'd, we'd just receive it. We'll say, behold, here I am. And when the Lord speaks, we'll obey. Certainly not think anything strange about it, but that we don't have to have something like that to feel like that our prayer life is beneficial. I think that Satan has fooled some people in this area, and actually it's not God who's failed to perform, it's us who've been tempting God and have been coming before God and not just loving him for who he is. We're trying to always love him for what he does, and God wants us to know him to know him for who he is, know him in his nature and in his character. And yes, he will provide things. And yes, he will supply our needs and do all of that. But that shouldn't be the basis. That is not the focal point. We need to get to the point that we just enjoy God for who he is and not what he produces. That we might know him in his character and in his nature. And yes, the special times will come. But that's what they are. They're just special times. And praise God for them and enjoy them. But don't get to where you despise those other times where you're in the presence of God. I really believe that as far as our spiritual growth and development, 
just the daily walk with the Lord where there may not be anything spectacular going on is probably more beneficial as far as helping us to just really dwell with God, mature to a place of, of walking with Him. So, yes, I believe in prayer, and I believe in special things happening during prayer. But I really believe that prayer, basically, is going to be a faith communication with God. And there will be experiences of peace and things like that that I believe will be constants. But as far as the spectacular, it will be the exception rather than the rule. And we need to be aware of that and not despise the times of just being there in the presence of the Lord, loving him by faith when there are no special bells going off. And I tell you, if you'll implement that, I believe it will help you tremendously in your relationship with the Lord. So the main, the two main points that I've tried to make on this point, on this tape, is just talking about using variety, that there, God likes variety. He created us to like variety. And so in dealing with him, we need to, to uh, reflect that. And then our situations vary from day to day. And so therefore, there will be different directions that God will lead us in prayer. And if we become too rigid, too structured in our prayer, we could actually wind up resisting and grieving the Holy Spirit, which certainly is going to make your prayer frustrating and non-productive. And then the second thing is just talking about our intensity, that yes, it is a special relationship with God, but it may not always be spectacular. God wants us to just enjoy Him for who He is and learn to fellowship with Him and uh, pray by faith, interact with Him totally by faith. And uh, as you implement those two things, I think that will help you tremendously in your relationship with the Lord. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.